Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. All right, this is our last week of Advent. This is the time of year when we are meant to be reflecting and looking forward to um, celebrating the arrival of our promised Messiah who came into our world. Each week in an effort for us to be reflecting and looking forward to his arrival, we've passed out scented candles that have gone with these centerpieces that we made our first week of Advent. Um, And we've been encouraging you to take time during the week to stop, to burn the candle, to reflect on the scent of that candle and how it ties into the theme for that week. Um, This week's theme is love. And the candle that is on your, I think they're passed out on the tables, or did they not get passed? They are there. Yep. They are uh, scented candles, and the spice today is uh, cinnamon spice. Uh, Because, according to Susie, who picks out these scents and puts these things together. Cinnamon is warm like a hug. So there you go, right? I thought this is intriguing, right? Because um, like I said, Susie came up with all of these scents. She's our children's ministry director. Um, And what Susie is implying is that love is warm like a hug as well, right? Um, Love is such a broad word in our English language, and I, I love how Susie rooted that word of love, thinking probably in some ways of her responsibilities to help kids connect to these ideas. She rooted the idea of love in a warm hug. Any of you remember the Disney movie Frozen? And so I brought Olaf today. He wasn't meant to be baby Jesus. I brought, I brought a baby Jesus that I took time this morning to swaddle and all that, but what? That's true. Anyhow, I brought Olaf because how many of you have seen the movie Frozen? So Frozen is a Disney movie, um, uh, and in the movie, there's this snowman who's born, and his name is Olaf, or he's created by magic and all that, and in the movie, his character is meant to um, to be the epitome of childlike innocence. And so he's naive, he's, super, he's really innocent, and he introduces himself to people by saying, hi, I'm Olaf, and I like warm hugs. And I think the social commentary that Olaf's character is, is meant to make about society, what those screenwriters were trying to say, is that to be hugged, to be held, to be you know, platonically and yet passionately embraced in the warmth of another human being is the ultimate expression of love to the innocent child's mind. In the mind of an innocent youth, the pinnacle of experiencing love in a physical form is a warm hug, a warm embrace. And I think it's worth pointing out that... um, that... If, you know, if that's true, you think about it, every single one of us as a human being began life embraced 
in the warmth of another human being. We all began life safely in our mother's womb. And birth represents for each of us this first moment that we're separated from the warmth of another human being. And that separation, you know, causes most babies to cry out in distress. And then almost immediately after being born, a baby is ushered back into its mother's arms. I mean, we all saw it happen, you know, right here on the stage. The baby was born and then ushered into the warmth of its caregiver's arms. To reestablish that connection, to be reconciled to the previous state of being wrapped up in the warm embrace of, a, of their caregiver. In our lives, from the point of birth forward, especially through our childhood, is this natural cycle of separation, or social scientists call it rupture from our caregiver, this natural distance that occurs as children grow, as they explore the world around them, this, this natural thing that happens is, as children do, learn like sleep in their own bed, sleep in their own room, or, or you know they go off to school one day, or they... They learn to feed themselves, right? They, they begin to create distance, and then as every parent's hope and dream is at some point, they grow up and they move out of the house, and they're out on their own. But that, that distance happens in a cycle with also reconciliation, coming back into the caregiver's presence, being hugged after a long day of absence, or being held while they're crying after an injury, or being cuddled you know, at night after a bad dream. And so this natural and healthy cycles, there's this natural cycle, or in healthy families, sorry, there's a natural cycle of rupture or separation and then reconciliation. A natural cycle of reconnecting and being brought back into the warm embrace. So in healthy families, that warm hug kind of love is described as a love that binds or attaches a parent or a caregiver to a dependent or a child. When we talk about human attachment, what we're talking about is that warm hug kind of love, where, uh, where one human being says to another human being in their heart of them, I would do anything to care for your needs. I would do anything to wrap you up in safety and comfort. Where a parent or a caregiver becomes, in a sense, the safe space from which a child or someone who's growing and maturing can go out and explore the world and know that there's always a safe place to come home to. It's a natural, healthy cycle. Rupture, reconciliation. Separation, being brought back in. Venturing out, coming back home. This is a story for each of our lives, and this is a, in, in, um, in our story. Hopefully, that's a cycle that happens in a healthy way. Uh, when we see unhealthy examples of that, we see things like abandonment, right? Unhealthy rupture would be abandonment or someone being alone or a child being stuck in a situation that they're not ready for. Um, when we see unhealthy examples of connection, or reconciliation, we, we see what social scientists would call things like enmeshment or codependency, where there's an unhealthy level of connection. And that's the story of all of our lives, but it's also the story of humanity told in Scripture. If you think about it, in the book of Genesis, humanity is born in the presence of God. 
The book of, of Genesis in, in chapter 2 accounts for this intimate moment when God reaches down and forms humanity out of the dust of the earth. And then this super uh, close moment when God breathes into humanity and gives the man life. You think about it, in, in a sense, that breath that's born out of God's mouth and travels into the man. The life of the first man is this breath of God that was that was, you know, was born out of his open mouth and then settles, in a sense, apart from God, inside of man, apart from God, and yet God is still really near. We have stories of, of humanity uh, walking with God, God coming and walking with humanity. We have this story of God taking man by the hand and bringing all of creation to him and, and, uh, and allowing man to participate with God and naming creation in identifying and being able to appreciate the beauty of what God has created for him. And so he's apart from God, and yet he's also very near to God. The language of Scripture is painting that same relational cycle of moving toward God and, and then also God allowing distance at times, that rupture, that reconciliation, so that humanity might grow and mature. And the cycle and the stability of man's relationship with God becomes tragically ruptured by the temptation of the serpent, which is a story that's a lot different than God just giving humanity a little room for growth. This is, this is a story of invasion. This is a story of an assault on an innocent person. This is, like, is kind of like a kidnapping, right? The serpent comes into the garden and tempts humanity away from God. And yet, even in the aftermath of Adam and Eve's fall, we have a picture of God moving across that rupture in the relationship, that unhealthy rupture, and calling across the distance to man and woman, searching, seeking them, calling them back home and to himself. God comes and covers their sin and promises to restore what was lost. And then the story continues throughout the Old Testament and into the new of this God, this Father in heaven, calling out to his wayward children across the ruptures that happen. It's interesting when God reveals himself to Moses. One of the things that he does with Moses is he, uh, Moses is up there on the mountain meeting with God and God says, I'm going to proclaim my name. We talked last week how in the Hebrew mind, in the, in the authors of the Old Testament, the idea of name was God is saying, I'm going to proclaim the essence of who I am to Moses. I'm going to reveal to you the core of my personality, who I am. So God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to proclaim my name. And when he does, this is what the Lord says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Hebrew word there that's translated steadfast love is the word chesed. I'm just going to say chesed because I'm American. Americanize that word so I don't have to spit all over the microphone the rest of the day. This is an interesting word. And I mean, I think most of you are aware enough of different languages to know that in English we say love and that means a broad, a broad range of, of things. In, in Hebrew, you've got different words for different kinds of love. I mean, it's, you've got different words for different kinds of love in Greek as well. And hased is, this, is meant to describe that self-sacrifice. Honestly, it's, it's like a parent-child type relationship love. 
It's a relational word. It speaks to one seeking the good and the benefit of another, committing themselves, this faithful, undying um, love. So he says, I'm abounding in this steadfast love and faithfulness. He says, I am keeping my steadfast love, has said again, for the thousandth generation, and I'm forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. In this moment of meeting with Moses and revealing himself to Moses and saying, I am giving the you know, the sons of Israel, I'm giving this nation of Israel a unique perspective on who the creator of the universe is. He says, this is who I am. A God who is abounding in steadfast love. He affirms his love for the broken people through the prophets, uh, moving on through Israel's history. He says things to them like, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. This time Hasid is translated unfailing kindness. You can see the selfless nature of this, where someone would come to another person who is undeserving and, and with unfailing kindness would say, I'm moving towards you. From Jesus' own mouth, he proclaims across this chasm to his ruptured people. He says to them, you kill the men who speak for God and you throw stones at those who were sent to you. That's another way of saying, you are terrible people. You have fallen away. You are not being who I created you to be. And he proclaims this over the city of Jerusalem. You kill the men who speak for God, and you throw stones at those who were sent to you. He says, how many times I wanted to gather your children around me as a, as a hen gathers her young ones under her wings. Uh, imagine this. You are failing, you're missing the mark, and yet what is the heart of God response to that? How I have longed to gather you like a hen would gather her children, her young ones, under her wing. I think through all these phrases, what is it that God is trying to communicate to us? What's he trying to say to humanity? I think what he is saying is, uh, maybe for those of us who have had biological children, he's saying to us, you know how you feel for that little one who you're holding in your arms. You know how you felt in that moment when this conviction cut to the depth of your soul that you would do anything for it. You know how you feel when you had this unshakable resolve that you suddenly are attached to this child. God's saying, that is how I feel about you. I know in my own personal experience, when I became a father, something changed inside of me. And suddenly, my destiny, my future, was bonded to somebody other than myself. Suddenly, my future, my destiny, went beyond just the natural span of my mortal life here on earth. Suddenly, I was somehow attached or glued to these people that, that I'd created. Well, that Laura and I created. She did most of the work, really. Um, but this miraculous ability that God gives humanity to create life also comes with this unbreakable bond or attachment to that life that we create. 
where we realize, oh, my future is sitting here in my arms. Everything that matters about, you know, my legacy is sitting here in my arms. I experienced this in my life as an individual when I had children. But even if I never had children, I can tap into this truth. Maybe some of you who have never had children can tap into this truth in this way. This can be hard to embrace in an individualistic society, but as a human being, our humanity, our future is firmly tied to the next generations of humanity. As a, as a community, as a, you know, a global human race, our future, our destiny is so closely tied to the generations that come after us. And we might experience this individually on an emotional level anytime that we feel our heartstrings tugged at when we see uh, the suffering of a child. Or when we hear about a cause that is, you know, for the children. Um, this is like the trump card that we play in society, right? If anyone has questions about why we're doing this, we can, we can trump that question right away by saying we're doing it for the kids. And everyone's like, okay, all right. I can get behind that cause. So you may not have biological children, but biological children, but I will bet that if any of you see a child suffering, you feel that attachment of your future to that child in a palpable way, right? Something inside of you is like, I would do anything to bring comfort. I would do anything to surround that child with warmth and safety. I would do anything to save that child from suffering. Knowing some of your stories, I know many of you have, have done this. You've cared for children who weren't your own biological children. Because your hearts were glued to them with the same stuff that glues the hearts of biological parents to their biological children. And the scriptures are testifying to us that this is the glue. This is the stuff. This kind of love, this said, is the same stuff that connects God's heart to ours. The scripture testifies to us that in the same way that, that one generation of humanity feels bound to the next generations of humanity, that that is how God feels his destiny, his future is bound to us. Unless we would ever doubt the strength of his commitment to us, lest we would ever doubt his love, lest we would ever wonder at how closely he has bound his future to humanity, lest we ever wonder at the strength of his attachment to those who he created in his own image as his children, if humanity ever had doubts about that, God settles them when he sends his son. He sent his son as a baby to live every single step of your reality and my reality. A son who found comfort in the warmth of his mother's embrace. A son whose own learning and growing and maturing as a human being was mysteriously and miraculously submitted to an imperfect father and mother. Sometimes I, when I reflect on my parenting and my children, 
I just marvel at the fact that God would have entrusted me with these human beings, right? I'm like, oh man, what was he thinking? Imagine Jesus entrusted to the care of Mary and Joseph. I mean, even if they were the best parents in the world, and and maybe they were, but I'm sure they messed up at times. And yet, this this is crazy, right? That God of the universe would submit himself to imperfect beings. That God would trust Mary and Joseph to endure that cycle of rupture and reconciliation in a way that would nurture and raise the Christ child to be a human being without a whole host of issues. Like, what a miracle, right? Jesus was a son who experienced the love and attachment of his heavenly father throughout his human existence in such a real and such a steady way that his father's love overcame all the temptation he might have ever had to fall into sin. For Jesus, there was no succumbing to the shame and hiding in the bushes like his forefathers, Adam and Eve, did. For Jesus, there was no dealing with his anger by striking down his fellow man to death like his forefather Moses did. For Jesus, there was no sin. There was only this loving attachment that he lived out and experienced from his father. There was no sin. There was no selfishness. Only this loving attachment that he lived out for his fellow man. And so where others might see a God in heaven who's a threat to them, Jesus looked into the eyes of the father and felt that loving attachment. God would do anything to watch over me, to save me, to deliver me. Even if I face death, I know I will rise again. God's not going to abandon me in the grave. And then when Jesus looked around at his fellow man, where others might see enemies, Jesus saw brothers and sisters. Where others might see failures when they look around at their fellow man, Jesus saw lost sheep in need of a shepherd. And I believe there's something inside Jesus' heart that when he sees each one of us, he sees one of Adam's sons or, or one of Eve's daughters, and he says about us, I would do anything to end their suffering. I would do anything to wrap them in a warm embrace of love. I believe this is what Jesus sees when he looks at the world. And then to his followers, who would endeavor to be his disciples, the people who would say, I want to follow Jesus He would say to us, my command is this. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Something happens, uh, for those of you who have raised your children, you probably experienced this, but something happens as your children begin to grow and become more and more independent. I know for me, as my oldest children enter their teenage years, As a parent, I feel it more than ever. I need them. I need them to understand how much I love them. Those periods of natural rupture are longer than they used to be. They're out of my presence longer than they used to be. And the potential to get in trouble is, you know, the stakes are a lot higher than it used to be. And as a parent, I'm going, I need them. I need them to know that nothing they could do will change my heart towards them. That there is a safe place in ra- you know, embraced in, in the warmth of my humanity, there's a safe place for them no matter 
what they have done. I, I like to imagine that the Father in heaven feels the same way. That when I experience that feeling and that conviction, I need these people to know how much I love them. That that's a reflection of how our Father in heaven looks at us. He so desperately wants you to know how much he loves you. As his children, there is nothing, nothing you can do that would separate him from from the love he has, separate you from the love he has for you. And as his children, there is meant to be nothing that others could do that would cause us to step in and say, well, that's it. You've done it this time. There's no hope for you. You're fully separate. No, we are meant to embody that has said that steadfast kindness and love to the world around us. But we can't embody that if we aren't receiving that from God ourselves. You know, Christmas is, as has been pointed out, less than a, a week away. And I just want to encourage you amidst your holiday plans and your social obligations and your gift giving or shopping for gift giving, if you've got any traveling going on, whatever else it might be, I pray that you would find time to sit in your Savior's love. Maybe light a candle. Smell the cinnamon. Be reminded that in that, in that quiet moment, be reminded that God's love is wrapping around you like a warm hug. And that that love is meant to, to bring security and comfort in a dark and dangerous world. That love is meant to fuel your soul for what lies ahead. Find quiet moments to be reminded of of God's heart and, uh, and, and moments to, to embrace that reconciliation with him. I really believe that our weekly worship service is meant to be one of those moments of reconciliation, right? You have a, maybe a, a week of rupture. You're out there on your own, nose to the grindstone. You're growing. You're stretching. You know, good things are happening. But when we come back together, you're meant to be brought back into the presence of God, to receive the warm hug, to to be able to talk about what's going on in your life and be fueled up for the next natural cycle of rupture that happens. And so we'll be back again in a few days on Christmas, on the eve of Christmas Eve, uh, on the 23rd, uh, for a moment of reconciliation. But I, I, I promise you this. God wants to draw you into his presence more than once or twice a week. He really has something for each of you a daily, maybe an hourly journey where you would be able to connect with his heart. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw you into that. Um, as we move into this year, we'll be, um, I, I talked about, we're focused on seeking God's face, on fostering that personal connection with him. And we'll be moving into strategies for that. We'll be talking about things you can try, things we can do as a community, things you can do individually. But I, I promise you this, it is essential that your heart feels connected to God because this is so much more than, uh, than, than a religion. This is about living out a relationship and a connection with the creator of the universe. And when we feel connected to his heart, we know at the core of our being that there is nothing he could do to feel more attached to us. 
that there's nothing, there's no way he could be more for us than he already is, and that he loves each of us with all of his heart. Let's pray, and then we'll take a minute to uh, discuss some things together. Lord, we thank you for your everlasting love. We thank you that your love is not dependent on anything, but the fact that you made us in your image and you called us your children. We thank you that it doesn't depend on our good behavior. It doesn't it doesn't even depend on our ability to receive it. Your love is there. And your spirit is pleading with our own hearts to receive it. To know that we are your sons and daughters. I pray that you would quiet inside of us that, that spirit of uh, fear or rebellion or whatever it is inside of our humanity that wants to flee and run out of your presence. And that you would draw us to yourself. I pray that your spirit would quiet the the spirit of this age, the busyness of our culture, the desire to run and go and get. You would quiet that as well, that we could come before you and be in your presence throughout our week.